These are Jesus' words at his ascension back into heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will tell people about me, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So essentially he's saying, I have to go. I can't stay. But you will receive power and you'll tell people about me, starting in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, Samaria. But then he goes on to say, The Comforter and Enabler will come in my place to fulfill the necessity to know me and to make me known. This truth and mandate is at the core and the meaning of the definition of missions and missionary endeavors all over the world. The Apostle Paul, if not one of, is considered the first missionary. Those before the days of four-wheelers and jeeps and Subaru Outbacks, I threw that in for Dave Boonstoppel. <laughs> Motorcycles. Uh, you had to wait a couple thousand years for those to come on the scene. But it said that along with a great distance by sea, he traveled over 10,000 miles by foot. And I'm thinking, boy, he must have liked walking a whole lot more than I do. Or not. He did that to fulfill this commission to know me and to make me known. Which brings us to this morning. I really get a kick out of my grandkids. They come flying in and they say, what are we having for dinner tonight? And I think, what are you thinking? What are we having for Sunday service this morning? Well, we're having a Q&A. Uh, we hatched this idea a couple months ago. I'm quite excited to see how it's going to turn out. I've been uh, entitled this morning, Everything You Wanted to Know About Missions But Were Afraid to Ask. What is the mechanism of knowing and understanding? It's asking questions. Asking questions. Uh, By the nature of my business, I uh, spend time loading trucks from time to time, which is a, a... Missions moment for me. I love it because I get the captive attention of truck drivers for maybe an hour or two. Uh, We have some great conversations. Uh, That's where Q&A kicks in for me because I come home at lunch and Diane says, well, what did you learn this morning? I said, well, I learned the truck driver, know who he drives for, whether he's an owner-operator, who he trucks for, where he's been, where he's going, what's his family like, how many kids he's got. How many times has he been married? Q&A. Q&A. That's what we're having for lunch today. I have the great privilege of being related to MKs, missionary kids. Uh, Five grandchildren and five nieces. May I introduce to you two of my nieces. I think the world of these. These are Great girls. Now, they have the same maiden name. Their last name used to be Rogers. They're the daughter of Dave and Deb Rogers, our resident missionaries. We have Ginny, who's on your left. Uh, Ginny Butter, she and her husband, Jason, they live close to Lonsboro. He makes his living with his hands. 
And Tori's on your right. She's another one of my nieces. Uh, her husband is Mike. Uh, when he's not in jail, he's in church with us. <clears throat> uh, he uh, works for Corrections in London. I uh, hatched this idea a number of months ago, and I asked them, would you be interested in being part of a Q&A? And they hardly hesitated. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what you're agreeing to, because some people, there's only one thing that's more afraid of speaking in public, and that's death. So I hope uh, you're not in that camp. (laughs) They never hesitated. They said, I would love to do that. But I think out of all respect, uh, we shouldn't be calling them MKs because they're not kids anymore. So I have uh, taken the liberty to address them as A-double-O-M-Ps, adult offspring of missionary parents. <laughs> uh, what's the objective of a Q&A this morning? Is to formulate a wide overview of what missions looks like from the inside and how we as a church can participate in, come alongside in a meaningful and supportive way. That's the objective. So let's get started. There's only two prerequisites. I don't know is not an answer. And one word is not an answer in itself unless, was there ever a time when you just wanted to go home? I'll let you away with one answer on that one. So here we go. Um, Let's see what's going to happen. Okay, I'm leaving. I've had enough. (laughs) (laughs) You were born and raised uh, just a few miles from here. Briefly, rather, traced the transition from Westfield to PNG in regards to age, stages, and locations of training, etc. Okay, so I'm going to tackle this one. And forgive me if I read some of my answers. I'm shaking, so hopefully you can understand what I have to say. Um, So I was 10 and Tori was 6 when we sold our dairy farm in Westfield and moved to Durham, Ontario to the Canadian New Tribes Mission Training Center, now known as Ethnos Canada. Our parents did the training there and us five girls went to the Durham Public School. We spent one year there and then moved to Camden, Missouri where mom and dad did language school and the five of us went to public school in Camden for that year. After the training was completed, we came back to Canada for six months and lived in Huron County, um, just down the road on Donnybrook Line here, actually. During that year, we traveled around a bit to different churches raising support. Mom taught us girls at home and on the road that year. In January of 1993, our family headed to Papua New Guinea. Our first home in PNG was in Mokrek, where Mom and Dad learned to trade language, talk Pisin, they also focused on some culture study and team development as well. About a, we were about a year in Mokrek, um, and then we moved into our bush location, the Pakapaki tribe, which became our home for the next four years. 
Can you remember thoughts that came to you when you realized your life was taking on a whole new direction? You can start this one. Um, for three of my sisters and I, it didn't really phase us as a big change. So we were actually pretty excited and happy for the new adventure that was coming. Um, for me, I was super excited at the idea when mom and dad first asked me what I thought of the idea of going into our family going into missions. At the time, I wanted to be a missionary nurse, so going into missions would be pretty cool. Um, it all happened, it seemed to happen pretty quickly. Our farm was sold. Um, we were up in Durham going to public school for the first time because we had been homeschooled on the farm. We were meeting new people. We were still coming home here to Auburn to church. So it was different, but not too, too drastic. Um, then we went to Missouri, and that was fun, too. I knew it wasn't going to be too long before we were back in Canada. I got to meet some fun people there, too. Um, however, when it came time to leave for PNG, I felt quite differently about the decision that our family had made to go to the mission field. Um, I was 12 years old at the time, and I was just starting youth group, and my friends and what they thought and others thought of me was the most important thing to me. I suddenly felt like MKs were not cool at all, and I did not want to be associated as one. I didn't want to move all the way across the world for four-plus years away from my friends and family here in Canada. It was so long to be so far away. I thought, why did God have to send our family? Why couldn't he send someone else? During your uh, teenage years, what aspects are most challenging? Um, for me, like I kind of just mentioned, leaving my friends was definitely a challenge. Um, it wasn't like today where you could stay quite connected through technology. Um, the only option for communication um, back then for our first four and a half years in P&G was snail mail, uh, where letters usually took about a month or more to arrive. Or you could try calling, but that was probably going to cost you $5 a minute and your connection was usually awful. Um, even when we went away to school, um, the best way to communicate with our parents, even though we were still in the same country, was on a two-way radio, um, where everyone could listen in if they wanted to. That was really awkward. You really never really told your parents what you were really struggling with because it wasn't a very private way to talk. Um, and even though all of us girls chose up to go up to Numenoy to school, and we loved it, it was always super hard to say goodbye to our parents and sisters. I think I probably cried every single time I got on the plane to go back to school. We would go for eight to nine weeks at a time and then come home to our parents for two to three weeks to go back up to school. Um, dorms and not knowing who we would be with or the families um, we would be placed with would sometimes cause some anxiety. Um, friends were often coming and going, so saying goodbye was kind of a, a hard part of life that we always kind of had to deal with. Um, the first furlough actually was, I remember being one of the hardest times, um, being super excited about coming back, thinking it was going to be great, and just realizing that life had kind of gone on, and I didn't really actually know how to interact with a lot of people anymore. And the culture shock coming home was actually, I found actually worse than going to Papua New Guinea in the first place. Uh, what were your apprehensions about going, and did they materialize? 
There seems to be a trend here. I was focused on me, myself, and I, and how would I make friends. So I didn't have a whole lot of uh, apprehensions other than um, how would I make these friends. The girls my age and the tribe were getting married, um, starting new families. Um, yeah, so I was, and I thought MKs weren't cool, so we're, what was I going to do? Um, they did my apprehensions materialize? Well, not really. Yes, the girls in the tribe were getting married in their young teens, um, but there were many amazing friend, families in PNG um, with lots of kids my age. Um, I think my graduating class had around 20 kids in it. Um, it turns out they were pretty cool, not the nerdy MKs I thought they were going to be, and I made many amazing friends who we're still connected to today. Um, some of the things that I was nervous about were kind of funny things like the heat and the bugs and mosquitoes that didn't materialize into anything. I loved the heat and the temperature that we had there. We did end up all getting malaria a number of times, but as you can see, we're all fine. Um, <laughs> some other, well, somewhat, I guess. <laughs> some other things that I guess we were a little bit nervous about was getting lost and separated, flying over to Papua New Guinea, or things like cannibalism or tribal fights. But thankfully, none of those things didn't materialize either. We all arrived safely together. Cannibalism wasn't really a thing in the country anymore. And we are fortunate to be in a very peaceful tribe. Was there ever a time you just wanted to go home? <laughs> uh, for sure, especially at the beginning. Like our first Christmas we found very difficult. We missed not having snow. We missed going to large family gatherings and our cousins. Um, so holidays were always a little bit harder. Um, another time was actually towards the end of the time that I was there when uh, Ginny and two other older sisters were back here in Canada. So missing birthdays and holidays with them as well was quite difficult. Yeah, and another time I remember desperately wanting to get back onto the plane to Canada was in my grade 12 year just after we had arrived back in PNG after being home. Um, our cousin Steve Campbell came back with us and he called home to his family to let them know they had arrived safely. And during that phone call, he learned that um, Jason had been in a motorcycle accident and it was in the hospital and we weren't sure if he was even going to make it. That was an incredibly hard time to be so far away. Um, of course, we didn't know that we would end up mar being married at the time, but we had started dating that year that we were home on furlough, so the news of his accident was pretty devastating. Um, other times that we really wanted to go back home were times like when we had new baby cousins being born back here and we knew we weren't going to meet them for a long time. Um, how would we know them and stuff like that. Um, that was tough time. Weddings, um, hard times when someone had passed away and you couldn't be there. That was hard. Or when a friend was going through a hard time, um, when our grandma had cancer, those were all especially hard times to be so far away. Did the fact that you had four other sisters doing the same thing make a difference? For me, it for sure did. Going um, up to boarding school for the first time, the transition was made a lot easier, having my three older sisters there. And then when they were graduated, I had my younger sister there. So I was not actually ever alone. And then the same being true for when I graduated from high school, coming home to Canada here, um, three of them were already settled in Canada here. And just knowing that 
I always had my best friend or my sister was definitely a comfort, um, knowing that we're never alone and that we're, we're always all in this together. We have the same understanding and experiences. Um, made it a lot easier. Um, for in PNG, for instance, women can never go anywhere alone. It's not safe, and um, it was true for all of us, so it didn't seem like a big deal. It was just life. So when I came back to Canada, at least my sisters didn't really think I was too strange for not wanting to go anywhere on my own. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was good to know that these are the people that I didn't have to actually say goodbye to, at least not for a super long period of time. Um, I think, well, it definitely made a huge difference. It was great knowing that we were all in this adventure together. I think that's part of why we can't maybe remember too many terrible apprehensions about going, because we had each other, so that helped. Being the oldest, though, I did have to do a few things without my sister, like go to school by myself for a while, but I survived. <laughs> Okay. Were there times when you were surprised about missionary life? Um, I guess we kind of already mentioned about friends and stuff, but there were a lot of different missionaries there with lots of kids with different age ranges, so making friends was not difficult. Also, the food there was pretty much the same with an added bonus of having probably some of the best fruits in the world. We were a little disappointed to find there wasn't a whole lot for exotic wildlife in PNG. Yeah, lots of exotic birds and some beautiful sea life, but no monkeys or kangaroos or anything like that. Um, we were fortunate to live by the water. Um, we didn't know when we went over there where we would be living, um, but we always had either a river or the ocean, and that made for some great times. Um, some kind of surprising maybe when you first get off the plane there's the distinct smells of BO and the continuous stares and pokes and always being watched um, but on the flip side the um, people in PNG are super friendly always smiling always greeting you um, and very protective of us actually um, another thing that we found was I don't know what was unpleasant or a surprise would be um, some of the medical care or lack of not having that there. So for me, um, in the tribe, I got cut on my leg with an axe, and so not being life-threatening, I get sewn up on our kitchen table by my mom and <laughs> <laughs> stitches, and that's we carry on from there. Another time would be when I uh, was jumping on a trampoline and broke my ankle, which was a little bit more serious, so that involved... Uh, flight to Australia and um, so that cost and the time and as opposed to being here when you're minutes away from a hospital to be able to go and get surgery we have to actually go to country to do that sort of thing. Oh I can hardly wait for this question. <laughs> can you remember a time when you found yourself in an awkward position due to limited understanding of cultural differences? I feel like you have the wrong sisters here for this. <laughs> yeah, I be but there are lots of times, for sure, just with language barriers and stuff. I have a really bad memory for that, but there's lots of times where they we would make the people laugh with just our lack of understanding and the way we would do things. Um, 
one of the uh, uncomfortable situations that I actually heard from our sister Chrissy was um, she remembers was a few of the girls and us were hanging out on our front porch, playing some games, squeezing each other's knees and laughing and just having fun. Mom had seen us playing like that and kind of reprimanded us for not to not play like that, all touchy and wrestly and stuff, because we didn't know how that might be interpreted by the Pukapiki people. She remembers feeling like she really didn't know how to interact with them for a little while after that. I can't remember too much of feeling too awkward. Like, yeah, people laughed all the time, but you just laugh along with them, and they're very accepting people. So, yeah, I feel like we've let you down on that question. <laughs> I was given a story last Sunday, but I don't have liberty to ask you to pursue it. But talk to them in private. It's, it's juicy, very juicy. Okay, what, what times uh, do missionaries find helpful and encouraging? I'm sorry, what things do missionaries find helpful and encouraging? Okay, um, uh, even though the mail was slow, we still really loved getting letters and packages. Hearing from home is a huge encouragement, knowing that you're not forgotten. Um, visitors, visitors are a huge encouragement, and I'm maybe answering this more from my perspective, teenage perspective, um, more than missionaries or the families. Um, but yeah, visitors were huge. My mom's parents came over to see us as, past, as well as Pastor Wayne Good. Um, that was awesome. We also had a bunch of work teams come to Pekapaki, and they were super encouraging to me as a teenager. Um, most of them were just out of high school themselves, and I remember being able to work alongside with them um, while they were working on the airstrip, and we'd all go down there together. And they would just always be commenting how fortunate we were and how blessed we were and lucky we were to be able to live in a country like this and see and do the things we had experienced. Um, that was a real turning point for my attitude on wanting to be there. Like, I, it kind of, my eyes were open, like, it's not so bad, you know? It's, it's pretty cool, and these people were kind of opening my eyes up to that. And just seeing their desire to want to be there, um, their desire to serve Jesus and to grow in him, that was really good for me to see. Looking back, it really helped me in my walk with Jesus. Yeah, so along with some of those summer teams, we also had winter teams that came over, which usually consist about three to five older gentlemen that would come and just live with us for, I'm not sure how long, weeks or whatever. And I found them very encouraging they kind of just became kind of like grandpas to us and just encouraged me at a young age um dorm parents and teachers and friends were also a huge encouragement uh, we really were surrounded by a lot of godly people that really invested in our lives seeing the gospel presented in Prokopke was a super encouraging thing just Super exciting to see after four years that um, them being able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing them accept him. Beautiful. What can we do individually and as a church that would meet a need and supply a much-needed encouragement? What's our role? Um, I'd say... Basically, um, to be an encouragement, the same as you would back here in Canada, be there for them. Obviously, you can't just jump on the plane whenever life is tough or whenever you want. 
Um, but today, more than ever, you can totally stay connected. Uh, we have texting and messaging and FaceTiming, and the list is endless. So being um, staying in contact with them regularly, I think, and just developing a relationship with them, letting them know that you know they're not just as far off missionary family. They've left now, and we'll see you in whenever you come back. Um, staying connected with them, and when you do that, they're more likely to share what's going on in their lives when they're struggling and stuff like that. And I think it's important, too, that it's not just one-sided, that we also share what's going on here. Definitely, um, it was an encouragement. and We wanted to know what was happening back home, too. It makes you just, we're all one family working in this together, and so it's encouraging for the communication to go both ways. Um, remembering them on special times in their lives, birthdays and holidays. Holidays can be lonely when you know your families are all back home getting together and you can't be there. Sending um, packages, um, that just shows you care and it's special. There's often a lot of things that you can't get that you start to miss when you're um, in a different country. So um, just, yeah, letting them letting them know that they're not forgotten. Um, our role as a church um, is what the Bible tells us to do. Um, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Um, it clearly tells us what our role is. Um, Paul and the early church, they tell us how to do that. We need to give financially and take care of their, their needs. That's the church's job. Um, sending people, truly, honestly, their biggest need isn't money. It's people. We need people willing to go. Um, yeah. Were you adequately prepared for what lay ahead? Is it possible to be so? Uh, when I first looked at this question, I kind of was like, no, I don't really think it's possible to be so. That's, uh, you never know what's coming. But as I thought about it through the week a little bit more, um, I thought, really, the answer is yes. Um, I was adequately prepared. God had totally set up my life to be prepared for what I knew I would need in the future. It doesn't mean that life was easy. Um, but he knew what was coming, and he knew what I would need to get me through through those times. Um, for instance, he knew I would go to boarding school, and in hindsight, I can see that that totally prepared me to be more independent and prepped me for being farther away from my family after high school. Um, even like our first furlough, being back in Canada in grade 11 helped prepare me for after high school. It gave me the opportunity to get my driver's license, my first job, reconnect with family and friends, um, and adjust somewhat to North American culture again. And those things all really helped um, when I came back. And even looking way back farther, um, before we even left in 1993, with me being a little bit older, I knew and remembered my aunts and uncles and cousins and church families better than my sisters had, which totally helped me feel not so alone coming back to Canada. God knew that I would need those connections here. So missionary life leads to a very flexible life routine as well. Um, not knowing what's going to happen or not happen in the day, you quickly learn to get not get worked up and you just go along with the flow. Um, you're not ever guaranteed of what you might be able to get, what you might not, what you might need and what you might not need. And um, you make learn to make do with what you have. And I think that's kind of also played a role in allowing us to 
go along with life as life is full of unexpected. Okay, because of your involvement in missionary life, you've seen and experienced the world few of us are aware of. How would you comment on what you have seen? Um, Way too many naked people, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) But uh, we could be here a long time if we talked about all the different things we've seen. Um, Things like different sing-sings where people would get dressed up in their traditional costumes depending on their tribes and the occasion. Uh, they, from painting their bodies in mud to colorful paints to wearing headdresses or masks made of feathers and shells and all kinds of crazy things. And it involved usually dancing and chanting and singing. Um, or we could talk about the different things we've ate, like grub worms and snakes or all kinds of crazy things like that. But I really think the more important parts worth mentioning today are things like all people all around the world are real people with real thoughts and emotions, just like you and me, all created and loved by God, made in his image. It's weird that we think just because a certain people group might look and do things so different, like so totally different, you think it could really only exist in National Geographic, um, but somehow that somehow we think they don't have the same thoughts and feelings as we do, that they're not somehow as real as you and me, but they do and they are. Their grief and sadness might look different on the outside, but in their hearts it's the same. Their celebrations often look different on the outside, but their hearts are still bursting with joy like ours would be. Just because a person may only get half-dressed every day, has beetle horns pierced through their nose, eats the pulp from the trunk of a palm tree, and has three wives, their sins are no worse than our sins. The fact is, we are all sinners, every tongue, tribe, and nation, and we are all in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ. Um, We've seen that fears of spirits and false gods are real, um, that warfare is real, that the devil is real, but most importantly that our God is so much bigger and he's at work. I remember a time um, when my mom was at a birth in the tribe where a baby was born and not breathing on his own. So mom instinctively picked up the baby and cleared his airway and he started breathing and he was a perfectly strong healthy baby. The next day, uh, one of the men in the Pekapiki, um told Dad that he really needed to beat Mom and not eat any food she had touched or prepared because she was unclean. We quickly learned um, that touching a baby before he or she was cleaned up by the mother made a person unclean, and therefore we, they would not be allowed to touch or cook any food for her family or husband for weeks, often resulting in a beating as well from her husband. Often the mom wouldn't even touch the baby if it appeared to be dead, even though it maybe just needed to have some mucus cleared from their airway, the baby would be left to die. Um, I think it really made people think and wonder at the fact that mom had helped save this baby's life and that nothing awful happened to dad after he had been eating her food um, (laughs) for the rest of us. So I think it it probably uh, made the people wonder what's different about these people and more eager to hear what they had come to share. So our final question. Has your experience influenced your understanding and your convictions about evangelism and world missions? And if it has, how? Um, I'd probably say that... Um, I have the question worded a little bit different here, but we'll just go with what I have. I think... Because we've seen the availability um, 
of the knowledge of God here in Canada versus in PNG. Here we have um, Bibles in our own language, ready, available for anybody, anytime. Um, we have many gospel-preaching churches. Our country was built on Christian foundations. We personally know many believers. I think kind of um, creates more of an ur- urgency for going um, because people in PNG and all places around the world, lots of them don't have the Word of God in their hands, um, in their language, and so it just maybe puts a higher sense on the urgency on the word on world missions on the go part the go into all the world and preach the gospel um just because it it feels like it's very available here so it's maybe um changed my perception on that part of world missions a bit we've also seen that the firsthand um, lives being changed and just confirms that we truly can be used by christ when we walk in obedience to him I'd say that there's also a very strong importance of foundational teaching of who God is and not just the conversion, but to make disciples and just um, the encouragement of seeing that in some of the PNG uh, believers doing the same, um, being able to lead their churches and also preach the gospel to their neighboring um, neighbors as well just really enforces the evangelism. Jenny and Tori, thank you so very much. Uh, Pretty good from adult offspring of missionary parents. (laughs) Thank you for making yourself uh, vulnerable. Thank you for being so honest with your answers. You have opened a door and a window for us that we don't hear and we don't see it very often. So thank you so very much for, for being part of a Q&A. So thank you. Great okay. We're short, so bear with us. <clears throat> so it takes a village. One of the uh, the original origin of the popular saying is a mystery. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some people believe that the saying originated in ancient uh, African proverb. Others believe it came from a native African American tribe. Regardless of its origins, it's a true statement in many ways. Um, when I think about it, the passage "Go into all the world." Um, and preach the gospel to all creation, I get this feeling of anxiousness, similar to the first real dry days of spring, when all of a sudden, all the spring tillage and fertilizing and planting and rock picking and spraying needs to be done as soon as possible. Although I'm excited to get going, sometimes I'm hoping for another rainy day so the anxiety will just diminish even for a day. Of course, once the tractors are running and the seed and fuel is delivered, and we call in custom work to spray or spread fertilizer and uh, the planting gets done, Over the next few weeks, uh, we realize that uh, spring work on a farm takes a village. We just learned from our question and answer session that sometimes raising children uh, takes a village. Teachers, parents, friends, other missionaries all play an integral part in the raising of a missionary kid. Uh, my, My mind often wanders to the tribe in Sandeni. Uh, Among the Wasarambaya people on the mountainside, When I think of missions, many of us, including myself, have always considered missionaries to be in a tribe or a people group 
preaching and teaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news. While this is the stereotypical meaning of missionary, there's so much more to it, and we need to remember that it takes a village. This girl uh, with Ellie, who held her hand all the way down, we walked to a, a waterfall and back. Um, we walked through the surrounding villages and the medical center. Uh, she's in need of a savior. She needs to know that uh, who she is in relation to a holy God. She needs to know that she is separated from God and be taught that faith in Jesus will restore that brokenness. I would be honored to be the one who God used to teach and explain to this precious child the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm not equipped to do so. I haven't the intelligence or drive to learn a language, translate said language into the Bible from creation to redemption in a way that these mountain dwellers could comprehend. But the missionaries in Sendeni, Andrew and Kathy Goud, they do. That's the gift that they were given. But it's more than that. It takes a village. While Ryan and Billy donned their aprons uh, making bread, and the guys repaired the ATV, and uh, the girls showed uh, pictures of life in, in uh, Canada to the kids, I sat with Andrew and rapid-fired questions at him until he relented and went outside exasperated. What I learned was the Bible translation that, he, uh, that they did was difficult for this area. They had to make up sounds and letters that didn't exist in this language. He showed me a word that was 19 characters long in this translation. I wish I had a picture of it. Um, this needed to happen to express the meaning of the verse in a way that people could understand. Um, and then this uh, translation has to go back to somebody to check to make sure the meaning is conveyed. Uh, this is a slow process in an area that takes a day to download an email. They do have service, but the nearest tower is, uh, I believe, run by a generator, and sometimes that gets stolen. And I think there's a battery backup, but I think that gets stolen as well. Um, so they, they miss a lot of uh, communication. Uh, reading their blog, they missed a couple months uh, last year uh, because of their missing cell signal, and then they rely on uh, the radio, I think, that they can get to the base in Garoka. Um, but an, amounts, uh, an immense amount of tweaking to get this radio to work uh, properly, only somebody Andrew, with the patience of Andrew could do. Although the Gouds are suited for this position up there in the mountainside, they didn't fly into location on their own volition. They likely didn't build their home and school on their own. Supplies are brought in. The cell tower provides communication. Leadership, office staff, base directors have an important role in getting them supplies and direction when needed. For the first time in my life on our trip to PNG in 2016, I realized that maybe I could be used to spread the gospel. Not as a bush-dwelling missionary, but perhaps a carpenter, a blog writer, a concrete finisher, or maybe just a large, sweaty white guy for the locals to laugh at. Some of us are equipped as pilots, uh, some as mechanics, some to promote the needs of those in the field. Some are accountants, purchasers. Someone needs to look after the bases scattered around the globe, training and facilitating the needs of those, uh, those um, among the people. Some support by sending letters and cards of, cards of encouragement. Some by sending money. Others purchase airplanes or vehicles or send small amounts to dif different missionaries. And all of us in the village of the church should be praying. Does anybody know this girl's name or hers? I don't either, but God does. In Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Although this passage is speaking to Jeremiah, 
He knows all of us. In Corinthians 8, verse 3, whomever, whomever God loves God is known by God. He knows more than just who we are. This knowing is an all-encompassing knowledge even before the world was created. I want to be used by God, just like the, Acts, the apostles in Acts 2. God used them. Um, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God is saving his people. We need to be ready to be used by him to teach, to preach, to fix, to build, to type, to give, to pray, to be obedient to his calling in our lives. He does the saving, and the fact that we get to be used by him for his glory is amazing, and I want to be part of that. For her, for the people of Sendeni, for the nation of Papua New Guinea, for Oceania, for the world, and for here at home in Auburn. Thank you.